The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition. Hello, I'm Kimberly King, and welcome to the Mother's Market Radio Show, a show dedicated to the truth, beauty, and goodness of the human condition. On today's show, in today's world, we're all so busy and rarely get the time to meditate and be mindful, but it can really help us get the most out of our lives. So listen closely and learn how to be more mindful. Plus, later we'll tell you what's going on around town. But first up, Kimson Johnston is a psychotherapist and behavioral health and wellness educator. Her work has offered her the opportunity to work as a part of the interdisciplinary team in, in private practice, integrating biofeedback and mindfulness meditation with patients living with chronic pain. Her primary work is teaching mindfulness-based stress reduction at St. Jude Wellness Center, where she has worked for 15 years. She's passionate about the role of mindfulness meditation in helping manage chronic conditions and offering individuals an empowered way to counteract stress, build stress resilience, and enhance their own health and well-being. And we welcome her to the Mother's Market Radio Show. Kimson, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for being here. Why don't you fill our audience in a little bit on your mission and your work before we get to today's show topic? Sure. Um, I've been with St. Jude, as she said, um, 15 years. And how I began this work was um, I have a chronic illness myself. And in my 30s, I was in a pretty severe bike accident. It was at a time that I was doing some triathlons and really working out. And I one day was on a bike ride was in a bad accident, and I um, came to at the hospital emergency room, um, had been out for three hours, mm. and still to this day, I don't know how it happened, but it really changed the course of my life, because after that, I got um, very ill and developed a chronic illness, and so that made me more passionate about stress and what was going on in my life, because I was raising kids, I was going to school, and I just felt like I was doing too many things at once. So um, that's kind of the beginning of the story. It goes from there, but that kind of gives you a, a base. <laughs> wow. Well, you can definitely see that you are driven by your passion. And um, today we're talking about mindfulness meditation and it's the influence on the brain. Let's talk a little bit about this mindfulness. And then in the news these days, too, mindfulness, what is, um, what is it good for and what goes on inside our brains when we're mindful? Well, we... We see a lot of mindfulness now on the news cover of Scientific American and Time Magazine. And, you know, I back in probably the 80s on PBS, they did a Bill Moyers special called Healing in the Mind. And they were interviewing John Kabat-Zinn, who worked out of um, University of Massachusetts Center for Mindfulness. He was actually um, an MIT grad. He was a molecular biologist. But he got interested in meditation, and he really felt that it was something that was so beneficial to so many people for healing the body. Um, so he began working there, and many physicians started sending people to him. A lot of physicians felt that people with chronic pain or chronic illness were falling through the cracks. They, did, they had exhausted their repertoire of skills, but these folks weren't getting better. So they sent them to the stress reduction clinic at University of Massachusetts, and they started this, it's an eight-week program, which is kind of the gold standard in the field. And this is the program that I teach in um, that all the research is based on. So what is mindfulness and how does it influence the brain? Okay, so mindfulness, a good working definition of that is um, moment by moment, 
non-judgmental awareness with a sense of curiosity. And we can break that down a little. So we say moment by moment, well, if we think about life, we're always on autopilot. We're always um, either in the future or the past. Our minds are very seldom right here, right now. And so there's this quality of just being present with our awareness in this moment. Um, and then the second part of it is non-judgmentally. Well, why do we care about that? What, that's kind of a strange phrasing. But if you think about it, us as humans, we are very judgmental. We're very opinionated about so many things. We get on the freeway. We're, mis we're mad about the traffic. The room's too hot, too cold. There's not enough food. So we have these opinions that are constantly going on. And I, the way I would liken it to is we, we all want more yumminess, less yuckiness in our life. And so when good things happen, we want more of it. When bad things happen, we want to push it away and we don't want it. But imagine we could hold those things the same, the good and the bad, and not really be judgmental about it. So I call this the yum-yuck factor. <laughs> and then um, the other part of it is that... Um, we get contracted around the negative when it happens. So imagine if we have chronic pain or chronic illness, we do a lot of contracting. So mindful awareness, um, if we were to think about it right here in this moment, you're listening to the sound of my voice, we're sitting, we can feel the weight of our bodies on the chair, just being present with the sensations of the air against our skin. So that's really showing up. We use the senses in a very real way, um, how we show up in the moment. So um, secondly, as we go about our days and all of our experiences all influence our brain. And when we bring this sense of present moment awareness, um, we really are showing up in the moment. And we begin to become aware that we have these habitual responses. Maybe we have people that trigger us all the time or um, somebody you know, we see every day and we know they just know how to push our button. And when we practice mindfulness meditation, what we learn is over time we're able to pause and step back and maybe we don't feel so reactive. We begin to notice I start to have a longer fuse. So the other question was, um, what is mindfulness good for? And so we know there's these literally thousands of studies now that show the positive impact that mindfulness practices have on our health and well-being. Uh, for managing stress, anxiety, um, for physical and emotional self-regulation. And over time, this has a very quieting and calming effect on the mind and the body. And so I want to talk a little bit about um, when we have a chronic illness or chronic pain, because many, many people in our culture right now in our society have chronic pain and chronic illness, and they don't always know what to do about it, because it can be, feel very disempowering we begin to isolate ourselves more and more. Um, we're not able to go out, so we have these mental processes. Um, I'm not able to go to work. What's my boss going to think? I can't go to work anymore. My friends don't want to be around me because I'm constantly in pain. So the perception is, I don't like this. And how this I don't like this gets lived out in everyday life is very unpleasant and distressing. So we have a, and, and the first thing I want to say about that is that anxiety, fear, and despair and depression, these are all very, very valid emotions in response to chronic illness and pain. And how mindfulness can help us is learning how to move away from this, I don't like this system of living, 
and to begin turning towards this, which is very counterintuitive, and it takes a tremendous amount of courage. So we have a choice whether we're going to be fall into that same pattern of emotional thinking and negative thought cycles and begin looking at more closely how do we um, gain these skills and make a choice? Because if you take your fist for a minute and you just make a, a contracted fist, if you do that, what do you notice about your breath? We notice that stop breathing. Yeah, hold your breath. Yeah, exactly. So if we think about the fact that we have this primary suffering, which is the pain itself, but then the secondary suffering is all the stuff that we heap onto that, all our negative thought processes, the physical tension of contracting. And as we soften into that and we breathe into the body and we're more present with what's going on, we can all only live life one moment at a time. And sometimes those moments can become unbearable. But can we take it just one moment at a time so that if the present moment is unbearable, maybe the next one isn't? So we soften, we notice, um, and we begin to see that we can have a real quality, an excellent quality of life, even if we have pain, once we kind of step back and do away with all that secondary suffering, because that can be a burden. And I think, as you say, um, just really... Um, I, you know, I, I don't know if you say own it, but just recognize it and be in, absolutely. You know, be mindful of it as as you as you say. Um, but and don't um, you, do you turn toward it and you're being positive toward it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to ask you about the new technology and um, and can you explain that um, about a way of looking at our brains and reading our minds, um, MRIs, or what, mm-hmm. what can you talk about that a little bit? So um, with the imaging technology that we have right now, you know, we really have to, what's an interesting fact to me is that in the last 20 years, we've probably learned more about brain research than we know have learned to date in the past at all. So while mindfulness can be be a bit of an elusive quality to quantify in the brain, with these MRI scans, we can actually see increasing activity in the prefrontal cortex, which is an area of the brain that actually begins to thin as we age, but it also is the area of the brain that suffers a lot of um, injury um, or degradation, I guess is the better word, for Alzheimer's patients. So we know that um, as we are able to thicken this prefrontal cortex, this starts to thicken when we practice meditation after about cumulatively 11 hours, which if we practice 20 minutes a day, that would probably be about a little less than six weeks. That area of the brain starts to thicken. And um, they did a a study, um, National Geographic at one point, on London taxi cab drivers. And they looked at their brains, and because they actually memorize this spaghetti snarl of byways, highways, and all kinds of tourist sites. They looked at the um, prefrontal cortex, which the hippocampus is part of, and they saw that those people's hippocampi, or hippocampuses, I guess, Mm -hmm. take up a much greater um, piece of real estate in the brain because it has to do with this visual spatial part of the brain. And what we know about brain scans is that even after these eight-week classes, um, they reveal that um, this resting state connectivity 
between the network in the brain. It allows people to control their attention and other parts of the brain that are, have to do with rumination and spontaneous thought. So what I think is most telling or most key about this, these studies is that people with PTSD, say folks that come back from the war who have post-traumatic stress disorder, um, they begin to see these changes in brain connectivity where they are less rumination and more present moment awareness. And so one of my passions um, is I want to be able to use these classes for first responders and also offer um, maybe even scholarships to folks that have been in the military that are home from the war now and get to attend these classes to be able to attend to some of these needs. I think it's so, so key. That's honorable, and that is, it is true. I think um, you are definitely seeing um, a difference. You could see a difference with the PTSD. Um, um, it, would be, it would make quite a difference. Um, let's talk a little bit about the other kind of the brain research and how fascinating it is. Uh, what are some th three facts about the brain that might be fun for us to know? And again, one of the things I didn't say is I'm not a neuropsychologist or a neurologist or anything like that. So, but, but this done is some such, research. Though. It's yeah. such a fascinating area, and I think some fun things to know is if we look at one grain of sand-sized bit of brain, it would it would house a hundred thousand neurons, mm. a billion synapses, all communicating with each other oh simultaneously. Gosh. A billion! Oh my! God. I know. Wow. <laughs> And a second one is that, in general, men's brains are 10% bigger than women's, even after, I know we all laugh about Whatever. this because it goes, size matters, yeah. even after <laughs> taking into account larger body size. However, the hippocampuses, um, the part of the brain most strongly linked with memory, they're bigger in women. Hmm. And so I think that's a fascinating fact. Yeah. And here's another one. We're all so inclined to use our GPS <laughs> trackers, but what we know now is that this not using our own innate sense of direction actually um, is a skill that took our ancestors thousands of years to develop and hone. And when the area of the brain involved in navigation is no longer used, these neural connections start to fade away oh, yeah. in a way we call it, it's known as synaptic pruning. So oh, yeah. off it goes, never to be returned. <laughs> so we shouldn't be using our GPSs. <laughs> Get those <laughs> maps out, everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we can keep those uh, going. Uh, this is really interesting information. And uh, right now we need to take a quick break, but more in just a moment with Kimson. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Looking for healthier snack options? Mother's Market sources organic and non-GMO small batch, high quality, great tasting nuts, dried fruits, snacks, and candy. The goal? To provide you the highest in quality snacks while also offering high nutritional value. Fan favorites include non-GMO peanut butter pretzel bites, organic dried mango slices, and organic dark chocolate peanut clusters. Stop into your local Mother's Market today to explore all the varieties and pick some up to try for yourself. Let's talk menstruation, perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. These shouldn't be taboo topics. They're the normal life phases we move through as women. And Solaray delivers support every step of the way with her life stages. The first of its kind comprehensive new supplement line offers doctor formulated solutions at each stage with clinically backed ingredients you can count on. Own the stage. Buy Solaray at Mother's Market today. 
And welcome back to the Mother's Market Radio Show. And we want to remind you that if you've missed any portion of today's show, you can find us on iTunes by searching Mother's Market or download the show from our website, mothersmarket.com. Click the link for radio and listen to the past shows. Plus, download our healthy recipes and money savings coupons, all available at mothersmarket.com. And now back to our interview with psychotherapist and behavioral health and wellness educator, Kimson Johnston. And we're talking about mindfulness meditation and its influence on the brain. And it's so interesting. And so, Kimson, you mentioned that for survival, our brains are hardwired to pay more attention to negative and intense experiences than positive and subtle ones. And it's so true. <laughs> and we've all been there. And why is this? And how can we really hope to change them in any long-lasting way? So our brains have this uh, negativity bias. And it seems really unfair, truly. <laughs> because as we evolved, we needed to avoid danger, for one, and pursue food. Um, so avoiding danger was more important because if we didn't avoid danger, we're dead. <laughs> and then we can't pass on our genes. So uh, that's the most important one. So the brain is perpetually scanning our environment for danger. So this is kind of where this all stems from. Um, we know relationally that it takes typically five good interactions to make up for one single bad one, right? So if somebody, we go through the day, five great things happen, someone goes, why are you wearing that shirt? What's the thing we're gonna focus on, right? So painful experiences are more memorable than pleasurable ones. And so this rumination goes on that, um, that it did not go well versus the five that went just fine. So what we are focused on in the field of awareness, when we talk about mindfulness meditation, we're talking about um, being present with what's happening right in the moment. And no matter what we're focused on in the field of awareness, whether it's positive or negative, we create more of that. So if we're focused on the negative, we create more of that. So if you put your hands together in, like with your fingers interlaced, if we think about how those uh, neurons and neuropathways and synaptic connections all happen, um, if we're focused on the negative, these neurons that fire together wire together in temporary and lasting ways around the negative. If we uh, think of it like when rain comes down and it hits the dirt, it starts to make little grooves in the dirt. And over time, those grooves get more deeply etched. And that's then where the water goes and creates more, um, it forges you know, deeper and stronger pathways. Well, it's like that for us too. So if we think about these neural pathways. Well, the other analogy I like to use is it's positive is like Teflon pinging off of us. Negative is like Velcro. It clumps onto us. So how do we begin to make that shift that it counteracts what's kind of in our chemistry already from birth, this kind of, um, how do we talk? Negativity bias is the word I'm looking for. So how we if we think about it, the negative bias is how we learned to survive. So if we see a stick on the ground, say, and we think it's a snake, that's the better mistake to make than thinking it's a snake and it turns out to be, a, I mean, you know, the reverse, because that's what keeps us safe. Um, so how do we begin to shift this? Uh, we need to consciously and intentionally begin to make this shift to create more positives. And I think, in a way, too, I think what I'm hearing you say and I, is every time there's a positive, we have to 
we, we are grateful for those positives. Can you say more a little bit about the uh, three fundamental facts about the mind and the brain as it relates to the concept of neurons that fire and fire uh, together, wire together? I love that. Fire yeah. together, wire together. And so, it, yeah, and it, because it's so true um, about this whole way that we dismiss these positive things. So imagine, though, that if we could knowingly be, know this fact that there's this negativity bias, so we say, how am I going to make that shift? And so imagine that, just take a, an instance, say, we, we need to learn to just recognize and celebrate the good things that happen, whether it be I just... I just finished that project, and um, so rather than have these negative experiences that get captured in our emotional memory, um, because they can gradually, over time, darken our mood and our outlook and our sense of self, we can get depressed. And so the great news is that we're not condemned for this to happen and have it stay this way. So we can instead make our brain like Velcro for the good stuff of life by taking in the good. And here's three steps that can enable you to do this is one, let the let positive facts become positive experiences. Allow yourself to really feel good about it could be getting something done or noticing something. Um, one example might be if you have a hummingbird feeder in the yard and you just drink your morning coffee and just sipping your coffee, you just really take in that experience. Imagine you could be the human sponge for sipping this yummy coffee and watching this hummingbird feed at the feeder. And it doesn't have to be something monumental, something as simple as this. Secondly, to savor this experience for 20 to 30 seconds, really let it sink in and, and fill your body as intensely as possible. Make it multimodal and more, um, more graphic in your mind. And the third um, way would be, in addition to that, is intend and sense that this experience is sinking into you, almost like warm, uh, bringing a warm glow to your body. Say that this experience, you're just taking it into the body, seeing it in your mind as it's happening. And the more rich you can make the experience and the longer you're able to hold it in awareness, um, and emotionally stimulating, the more neurons are going to fire around this particular experience. And the more times a day we can do this, then the more um, gradually we reweave the positive experience into the fabric of our brains. I love that. And that goes back to visualizing and really savoring all of those and owning mm -hmm. that positive experience and really just thanking that positive experience. Yes. And what you said about gratitude, I think, is very fitting here too and I think that brings us you know to this last part yeah it's almost as if something positive that happens we just aren't accustomed to having something positive happen to us we just kind of brush it off and just mm -hmm. not that we even expect it but it's just when something negative happens to us right. it's just so like oh you know and then that's what as you said it attaches to us and right. that just ruins our whole day and that's what we can that's and yet when we talk about to. children, what are we really focused on? The positive. We want. We don't talk to them or treat them in a way as hardly, harsh as we are on ourselves. And this is this self-compassion piece and empathy is such a big part of mindfulness, too. It's really learning how to be tender with ourselves. Very good. I think we all need to hear this. Um, so outside of a regular meditation practice, 
What might be two simple tips for practices that benefit the brain that people can practice in, their, in our own lives? So one would be taking time to get out in nature. I think we're so um, devoid of natural sound and the way, you know, the sand feels on our toes or the grass feels when we go to the park on our feet. We kind of bypass these moments. Um, I was on a retreat once with um, an executive and we were told to really put away our phones Mm -hmm. during this week. And they said, go out and look at the night sky. And he came back in after that, and we came back into the meditation hall. And he really spoke about how he'd been looking down at his phone so much that he didn't remember the firmament of stars that was up there and how how beautiful, you know, and awestruck he was. Mm. And so I always say, go out in nature, take it in, the clouds, the rain, whatever it is, that's one big one. And secondly, I'd say connecting socially with people that really care about us. I think that Mm. really shifts our biochemistry in a really big way and also influences our well-being. And that's so true, too. And I think I would just add this. I always tell my kids this. If you think about somebody or if you have a thought about somebody, call them or mm-hmm. connect with them, If you, especially if you have that quick thought. Just, yeah, you know, and just tell them. Tell them. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can you share with us a practice that you use regularly and help us wire a more resil- a resilient brain? Sure. Um, one of, you spoke of gratitude, which is, is wonderful because this is really a big piece of this. Um, so I have people do a two-minute free write of remembering people who keep their lives going in the web of life. Mm. It could be the cashier at the grocery store, the mailman. It doesn't have to be people you know. Um, Albert Einstein said, A hundred times every day, I remind myself that my inner and outer life depend on the labors of other people and that I must exert myself in order to give in, give in the same measure as I have received, and I'm still receiving. Mm. So really, even though we don't verbally tell them, I think it's such a simple thing to do, which we can do at the end of every day. And what this does is it really primes the brain to notice and acknowledge people in the web of our life as we move through our days. And this can really, really be an antidote to that negativity bias that we were talking about when challenges arise. It really gets us in the habit of recognizing good things happen every day and people really influence us, like you were saying. Well, my goodness, it's so, this is, thank you. I've been thinking about this and you just wrapped it up in a nice pretty bow. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for sharing all of this and I will be more mindful as I go out into the world. So I appreciate that, Kimson. It's uh, great having you here. Thank you for your time. And uh, for more information, you can go to uh, Synergy Med fit.com. It's S-Y-N-E-R-G-Y-M-E-D-F-I-T.com for more information about Kimson Johnston. Thank you. We look forward to your next visit. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Mother's Market Radio Show and for shopping at Mother's Market. The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition.